Chapter 17 of Mildred's Married Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Roth. Mildred's Married Life by Martha Finley. Chapter 17. Patience, my lord, why, tis the soul of peace, of all the virtues, tis the nearest kin to heaven. Decker When alone with Annis that evening, Mildred said to her, I had a talk with Uncle Dinsmore today. You know, we are all engaged to dine at Roselands tomorrow, and he wants us, that is, my husband, you, and me, to go prepared to stay at least a week. Oh, Milly, I don't want to, cried Annis. Do you think I must? I wish we didn't have to go at all. It is pleasanter here, especially so to you, I suppose. But consider, dear, how very kind Uncle Dinsmore has always been to us, and how rude and ungrateful it would seem to decline his invitation. I'm willing to go for tomorrow, but what is to be done about my lessons if I stay a whole week? I spoke of that, and Uncle said you should be brought over every day for the lesson hours and taken back again. Won't that do, little lady? Mildred asked with playfully affectionate look and tone. Yes, Anna said, her face brightening a little. I don't want to be or to seem ungrateful to anybody, and I think I can stand it in that way for a week. And I'll try to like the cousins there, though I'm sure they're not half so nice as these here. No, assented Mildred, but you might travel the world over without finding another such little girl as Elsie. Yes, indeed, sister. I grow fonder of her every day. She is so sweet and bright, often merry and full of innocent fun without a particle of rudeness, so gentle and humble, and unselfish. She doesn't think herself good at all, but I think she's as nearly perfect as anybody can be in this world. And I quite agree with you, said Mildred. No wonder her father dotes on her as he does. And she on him, but the way Anna sometimes treats her makes me angry. I can hardly help telling Miss Anna she ought to be ashamed of herself and could almost scold Elsie for being so meek and patient. Meekness and patience are very good things, little sister, Mildred said with a slight smile. I often wish I had more of them. You needn't them. You have quite enough, I think, returned Annis. The Bible bids us, let patience have her perfect work and it is certainly a lack of the spirit of forgiveness that makes us irritable and impatient under a little annoyances, slights, and rudenesses, remarked Mildred. And opening her Bible at the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes, she read aloud, And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. But Millie, do you think it means we ought to put up with everything and just let people trample on us? No, I agree with Edmund Burke that there's a limit at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. See here, Solomon says, 
surely oppression maketh a wise man mad and turning to the new testament here in acts we read that when the keeper of the prison said to paul the magistrates have sent to let you go now therefore depart and go in peace paul's answer was they have beaten us openly uncondemned being romans and have cast us into prison and now do they thrust us out privily nay verily but let them come themselves and fetch us out yes said annas meditatively and as if thinking aloud i've an idea he wouldn't have put up with as much as elsie does from enna what is it enna does that seems to you so unendurable asked mildred with some curiosity oh it isn't so much what she does or even says as it is her sneering contemptuous tone and manner as if elsie were ever so much younger and sillier than herself when she is really older and a great deal wiser i spoke to elsie about it one day and she said she was very glad enna didn't go any farther because her papa had ordered her to tell him if enna abused her and of course she must obey and she did dislike so very much to do it elsie seldom found much enjoyment in a visit to roselands her aunt adelaide was the only member of the family there between whom and herself there was a strong mutual attachment though laura and walter were not unkind and sometimes treated her even quite affectionately she and annis were not in haste to be off from the oaks on the day of the dinner party so did not ask to be excused from lessons in order to accompany rose and mildred in the family carriage they had their morning walk together annis took her riding lesson then the usual time was spent in study and recitation after that they made their dinner toilets and elsie drove annis over in her own little phaeton her father riding by its side all the way to roselands it was not strictly a family party there were several gentlemen guests beside mr dinsmore and dr landreth among whom the children were glad to see mr travilla his mother was there also and not too busy talking to the grown-up people to find time for a little chat with her two young favorites they had each brought a bit of fancy work and until dinner was announced sat in the drawing-room busy and demurely quiet listening with interest to the talk that was going on around them but taking no part in it unless a question or remark were addressed particularly to them the moment walter and enna caught sight of the phaeton driving up the avenue they ran out to the veranda and hardly waiting to greet their brother and the little girls asked eagerly to be allowed to take a drive in it it belongs to elsie mr dinsmore answered papa she said in an undertone as he helped her out i am willing if you are but please tell them they are not to ill-use the ponies in any way i shall ride alongside and see that they do not he said you and annis go in and say that i will be here in season for dinner say horace say can i drive walter was repeating impatiently yes elsie says you may then i'm going too cried emma stepping in no anne you can't go bareheaded and with nothing round you and there is not time to wait for you to fix 
and I'll not have you because you'll do nothing but scold and quarrel all the way. No, she won't, for I shall be close at hand to keep her in order, said Mr. Dinsmore, remounting his horse. And here comes Fanny with a hood and shawl for me, said Enna as a servant-maid came hurrying out with the articles mentioned. Walter, like the gentlemanly little fellow he was, when not provoked beyond endurance by Enna's temper and willfulness, helped the girl to wrap the shawl about his sister's shoulders. The hood was tied on, and they were off. Down the avenue and out into the road they went, the ponies at a brisk trot, Mr. Dinsmore's horse side by side with a phaeton. "'What a splendid little turnout it is!' exclaimed Walter. "'Wish I had one like it!' "'You have a good pony,' said his brother, "'and I should think would, at least as a general thing, "'prefer riding to driving.' "'Horace, mayn't I drive?' asked Anna in a whining tone. "'Perhaps Walter will resign the reins to you a part of the way.' Mr. Dinsmore answered, but we have not time to go very far. You may drive to the end of the next field, Walter said, giving her the reins. Such a little bit of a way, she grumbled, and would certainly have held on to them when the designated spot was reached, if Mr. Dinsmore had not been so close at hand. He seemed in a most amiable mood, conversing with the two children in an affable and entertaining manner, but Enna knew he could be very stern and authoritative on occasion. So a pout was the only evidence of displeasure she ventured upon when Walter resumed the reins. But no notice was taken of it by either brother, and presently Mr. Dinsmore began talking of the expected festivities at the Oaks, and gave them their invitation, adding, you, Anna, will be very welcome to come and stay the whole week if you can enjoy yourself, and let others do the same. What do you mean by that? she asked snappishly. That you must be pleasant-tempered, not domineering over your little mates, but willing to yield your wishes to theirs to a reasonable extent. In a word, be polite and unselfish. I shan't go. Very well. Please yourself in that. I'll go, Horace. Thank you, Walter said. I wouldn't miss it for a good deal. I say it's too bad, Anna burst out, that people are always calling me selfish and ill-natured and domineering. I should think I've as good a right to have my way as anybody else. Not all the time, returned Mr. Dinsmore, and hardly at all, when you are a minority of one against a majority of half a dozen or more. But I certainly did not say you were selfish and domineering. On their return they found themselves barely in time for dinner. The party not being very large, the children were allowed to dine with the older people, and Elsie, to her no small content, was seated between her father and Mr. Travilla, Annas being on the latter gentleman's other side. Both little girls were well waited upon, and were quietly happy and contented, saying next to nothing themselves, but enjoying the conversation of their elders. Walter, seated on the opposite side of the table, seemed in excellent spirits. "'That's a splendid little turnout of yours,' he said, looking across at Elsie. "'I tell you, 
I enjoyed the drive, only it wasn't half long enough. But you'll lend it to me again, won't you? She smiled and nodded assent. I'm going to the Oaks to spend Christmas week, but Anna says she isn't, he went on in a lowered voice, glancing in Anna's direction. Elsie's eyes followed his, and she saw that Anna's face was clouded and angry. She was sorry, but made no remark about it. After dinner, Laura invited Elsie and Annis to her room to show them some pretty things she was making as Christmas gifts for her father and mother, and to talk about what she should wear to the party at Pine Grove. She was quite surprised to hear that they were both invited, still more that Elsie's father had consented to let her go. Then she wanted to know just how they were to be dressed. Anna came in while they were on that subject and exclaimed angrily that it was too bad they should be invited and she not. You are too young, said Laura, and besides always contrive to make yourself disagreeable wherever you go. Laura's words were by no means as oil upon the troubled waters. Anna flew into a violent passion and abused her sister and niece in turn. Laura was a mean, spiteful, hateful thing. Elsie, not a bit better. Why, Anna, what have I done? Elsie asked in surprise, but with a gentle patience and forbearance that ought to have disarmed her accuser. You've done a great deal, stormed Anna. I believe you're always running to Horace with tales about me. And you've gone and got ahead of me by inviting all the girls to the Oaks for Christmas, so that I can't have any of them here. Now, Anna, expostulated Laura, there's no use in talking so. You know Mama has said she wouldn't be bothered with a house full of company this Christmas, and we younger ones are all going away to spend the holidays. No, I'm not, interrupted the irate Anna. I'd rather a thousand times stay at home than going to the old oaks to have Horace lecturing and reproving and Elsie running to him all the time with tales about me. Oh, Anna, Elsie exclaimed, blushing painfully. I never tell anything about you unless Papa orders me, and then you know I can't help it. You could if you chose. I'd never tell tales for being ordered, returned Anna with a scornful look and tone. No, remarked Laura coolly, but you are ready enough to do it without. And you needn't say another word about Elsie getting ahead of you and sending out invitations, for you never thought of doing so till you heard that she had. And besides, you are so unpopular with your mates that they would find some excuse for not coming, if you did invite them. Elsie was not sorry that at that moment a summons came for her from her father. She obeyed at once, Annis and Laura accompanying her to the drawing-room, where they found she was wanted to play and sing, some of the stranger guests having expressed a desire to hear her. It was always a trial to her to play before strangers, but she sat down to the piano, in obedience to her father's direction, without hesitation or excuse, and acquitted herself to his entire satisfaction and apparently to that of all the guests. She did not leave the drawing-room again or have any more talk with Anna until it was time to prepare for the ride home. It seemed lonely to go back without the cousins, and especially to leave Anna's behind. 
but as compensation she had her father and mother all to herself for the whole evening and was allowed to sit longer than usual in her favourite seat upon his knee annis was there again the next morning in good season to prepare her lessons for the day and the two met as joyfully as if the separation had been for weeks after their recitations annis had to have her new dress fitted then to take her writing lesson before returning to roselands elsie saw her off then went to her papa's study where he was busily writing she knew she was welcome there if she did nothing to disturb him so took a book and seated herself on the farther side of the room mr dinsmore was still at his writing desk when a servant came in with a visiting card which he handed to his master saying he had shown the gentleman into the parlor it is a business call mr dinsmore said glancing at the card just show him in here john elsie had become so deeply interested in her book that she heard nothing of this nor was she aware of the entrance of the caller who was courteously received by mr dinsmore and invited to take a chair which john set for him near to that of his master the two then fell into earnest talk and presently something said by the stranger catching elsie's ear withdrew her attention from the book and fixed it upon him and the subject of his discourse he was pleading the cause of home missions telling of the needs the labors trials and privations of those who were carrying the gospel to the destitute regions of our own land especially the far west and northwest money was needed for the support of the laborers now in the field and for others ready to go as soon as the necessary means should be provided elsie laid aside her book and softly drew near her father's chair he had forgotten her presence and did not notice her approach for he too was deeply interested in what the stranger was saying and when he seemed to have concluded responded at once with a liberal contribution to the cause as he handed the gentleman his check a little voice at his side said softly papa may i give something too ha daughter is it you i had forgotten that you were here he said turning to her with a pleased smile yes you may if you wish and he laid a blank check before her and put a pen in her hand how much papa i shall leave that to your decision she considered a moment filled up the check signed and gave it to him it was drawn for five hundred dollars her look as her eyes met his was a little doubtful and timid but he said very well smiling upon her and stroking her hair caressingly as he spoke then turning to the stranger he introduced her this sir is my little daughter and she wishes to make a contribution of her own to this good cause the gentleman shook hands with her regarding the sweet child face with evident admiration and saying a few pleasant words then glancing at the check she had given him uttered an exclamation of gratified surprise she is well able to give it and has my full consent mr dinsmore remarked in explanation as the gentleman turned upon him in an inquiring half hesitating look then as he rose to go 
he hospitably urged him to stay for dinner, and until the next day if he could. He accepted the invitation to dine, thus giving them the opportunity to learn still more of the cause he represented, but took leave very soon after the conclusion of the meal. End of chapter 17